Welcome back to Surprise Mechanics, the only podcast. One of these days, I'm actually going to be able to get through this. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, welcome back to Surprise Mechanics, the only podcast about wild witches and wacky woodlands. I'm your co-host, Roman Butel, and joining me, as always, is Spikel Bones. Greetings, gamer. I see you. Greetings, gamer. I see you. Did you say spooky mechanics or surprise mechanics? No, I said surprise mechanics, but, uh, you know, uh, it's spooky mechanics. It's the spooky season, and we're out here just... Talking about all the spooky mechanics that are out there in video games. So let, I guess we're rolling with it. Yeah, I'm can't just do, throwing shit over here. Can't can't do anything but roll with it. It's it's you know spooky season. If you're out in, in the woods just walking around, you don't know where you're at. I guess you just have to roll with it. And that's the true lesson of the Blair Witch, which we're, which well, that's what we're talking about today. Blair Witch. What are you doing right now? Me? I'm <laughs> I'm staring at a waveform on my computer. What are you doing? What are you doing? Just talking into a lava lamp <laughs> uh yeah well like you said buddy we're talking about the blair witch today the 2019 video game by bloober team uh and i gotta say something right at the top those poles know how to make their spooky games huh oh certainly this one was really fun um i have only seen like little snippets of it on let's play channels before this and didn't really know what i was getting into but you know i gotta say good time right i think this one caught us both off guard uh, in a good way, in, in all the best ways you want a game to catch you off guard. Um, but taking a step back even further, this was your first exposure to Blair Witch, correct? Completely, yes. I, I remember the original film coming out in the late 90s, and I, I think that the like, consensus around it in, you know, like, I, I think I remember my parents being like, that looks like it's a dumb movie. And I never saw it as a kid, so I had no way to really know whether it was good or bad until I watched it two nights ago and thought, actually, this rules. This is really good. Yes. Since now, or between playing the game and now, you have played the game, watched the original movie, and watched the 2016 movie, correct? Yes. And in fact, I watched both of those movies twice, um, two nights in a row. Y- you? Yes. You mean you 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 fell in love with a piece of media and consumed it rapidly in quick succession? Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> um I absolutely <laughs> did. And then I'll tell you another thing. I watched The Thing 2011 and then The Thing 1982 <laughs> like back to back. Had you seen 2011 before? No, it was my first time watching 2011, which I'm sure we'll like get into way more yeah, later we'll come this back month. Later, yeah, because I, I watched it for the first time last year, and uh, <laughs> that movie's weird. Blair Witch 2016 is interesting. I mean, the original Blair Witch Project uh, is a classic for a reason. Uh, definitely, you know, kind of jump started that genre of horror movie. Uh, I remember the one thing I remember about it because I didn't see it in theaters either. We were a little too young when that movie came out to have possibly gone to the theaters on our own. But uh, I remember it made my older cousin motion sick. (laughs) I remember him telling us how he actually got sick in the movie theater. And there were a lot of people saying that. And I suspect a lot of people still get motion sickness from found footage movies. But I do think part of that is just us not being used to that genre. Us as like a collective people here. Whereas now, you know, everything... We watch, I shouldn't say everything, but we watch so much like found footage style things, you know, either in uh, movies and TV or just like, you know, videos on YouTube of people recording stuff on their phones that I think we're kind of used to it now. 
Yeah, it's it's very pervasive now for sure. And there was a time where I was very against the idea of just like any shaky cam in a, in a movie at all. You know, I was like, you know, they got a tripod, they got steady cams, use them. But there is a very like uh uh like well timed and well used effect to having a camera moving throughout a scene in a shaky way. And I'm I'm grateful that I didn't have any issues with motion sickness watching Blair Witch. I wonder if it'd be any different on a big screen, uh, like bigger than you know your TV at home. Mm. But uh, I could absolutely see you know if if that is a thing that affects you, that movie might be an even more difficult experience to get through than it would be for anybody else. Um, and like movies like Cloverfield, I never really like other found footage films. I've not really grasped me. Uh, as much as this one did, and you know, I I, I guess like it's just a like very effective use of the the concept, whereas others right. are like you know here's here's the gimmick, right? You're in in a found footage scenario, and you kind of know what you're getting at that point. Blair Witch being an original in that genre, I I, I guess that gives it an an advantage uh, over over the others and. It just has like constant anxiety and tension all the way through. The original is much more psychological than Blair Witch 2016. Blair Witch 2016 has some cool ideas and they do some cool stuff with the lore. And it's by Adam Wingard and I generally like him, but, uh, you know, it's just not as it, it doesn't hit as hard. It's a very different film on like the surface in, in every way because it's like, you know, 2016 camera tech has come so far. Um, there, there's a lot more of a cinematic look to it, I guess. Like the camera quality looks professional. The original Blair Witch is in four by three and they're shooting on 16 millimeter film and a, a, a dinky little camcorder. So it has that feel throughout the entire movie. But when you watch the 2016 film, all of those different cameras blend together because the image quality is so good on everything. Um, except when it's like deliberately glitching though. Um, you're right. The 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 first one just feels like the first one is a feeling. The first movie is a feeling all the way through and it's just a feeling of dread and anxiety. The second movie is a little bit more detached. I I feel like when when you're watching it, you you feel like you're watching a movie, but the the stuff they do with it is absolutely really really cool. It it makes you think about all of the potential scenarios that the trio from the first film were like gracefully spared from we're of course not even acknowledging book of shadows because uh like everyone else in the world we haven't seen it and one of these days i do want to watch it maybe that'll be a good watch along one for us i read a review of 2016 that said uh i think i think they kind of summarized it best which was the line was when the original movie whispers the 2016 sequel screams yes and i think that's pretty accurate uh and i also think this game, I think, walks the line right between that pretty well. Uh, so I think without further ado, let's dive right into the suite. Yes. Oh, but I'm getting ahead of myself again. We got to do our spoiler warning. Oh, okay. Because this is definitely a game that uh, can be spoiled for sure. Yeah, we, we don't want to spoil this experience for anybody because this one is this one's good. This one's really good. All right, folks, here's your first and only friendly warning that spoilers are ahead. If you don't want to know your plot beats, characters, user experience, the buzz of the biz, and of course the mechanics, then we recommend playing the game how you'd like. So if you've played, it's all safe from here on out. Let's go. 
All right, folks, welcome to The Suite, where we talk about all the things we liked or loved about Bloober Team's Blair Witch 2019. Uh, Michael, if it's okay with you, I would like to kind of start this just talking about the actual gameplay and game mechanics, and then we can transition into the story stuff, because I think that'll be a good transition point for us into the sour. Because, you know, not to get too ahead of myself here, but I don't have too many, like, true sours all the way through but i have a lot of stuff i have like mixed feelings on Mm -hmm. i think as far as the game goes this is a very spooky walking simulator with some decent puzzles and uh just to make sure i'm being clear i don't think walking simulator is like a bad thing like i don't use that as a derogatory term i think it's like perfectly fine to embrace that as a genre of game which i enjoy uh and this one i think is uh one of the better ones yeah i i definitely agree it there's a lot of walking in the woods but uh the the actual happenings of walking in the woods is is quite interesting because you start out um in in it's a search party for a a child who has gone missing you're part of that search party but you're a little bit left behind and it's just you and your your good pal bullet who is a dog who is a dog? Yes, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, and a lot of that walking is really—it uh, goes hand in hand with yourself and Bullet. You can call to Bullet and give him commands, but uh, Bullet's kind of your guide through the entire game for the most part. Your relationship with Bullet is incredibly important, and uh, you can pet him. You can give him dog treats. Uh, he helps you navigate the woods, finds clues for you. And uh, in general, it's just a good boy. One of the things that sets this game apart, you know, when you think of a walking simulator, Death Stranding is a game that comes to mind quite quite often. And in that game, there's a uh, definite theme of like isolation that doesn't really come across in this game. You've got Bullet with you and the, the, the two like opposing sides of the coin here, like being by yourself and walking through, a, you know, a, an unknown land and being with your dog companion and walking through these spooky woods, uh, two very different feelings. So I think that mm-hmm. Blair Witch definitely has like a, a a unique take on walking simulator. The protagonist, which you are controlling, is named Ellis. And uh, at a certain point, I started feeling really bad for Bullet because, you know, not that Ellis had much understanding what's going on, because, of course, you know, you're in the Blair Witch Woods, you're getting manipulated. Uh, But I I just felt so bad for the dog (laughs) because there's just like (laughs) no possible way a dog can understand what's going on. But aside from like you mentioned, uh, you know, Bullet is your guide. He's essentially the waypoint marker for a lot of missions. Uh just mechanically there's a lot going on with bullet you like you mentioned you give him commands uh you can either reprimand him or 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 tell him he's a good boy which is the correct thing to do uh and then also in any combat encounter it's like spooky alan wake because you have a flashlight and that's how you get rid of these monsters but the only way you can tell where they're coming from is because bullet will turn to them and bark so you have to kind of keep bullet in your eye line see which way bullet is facing and then aim your light over there it's really clever it's really really cool how integral bullet is into the game's design which i like to see because that meant bullet was you know gonna be okay (laughs) yeah without bullet you're you're pretty much like screwed honestly um yeah it's such an important part of the team so i i can't imagine you know ellis without bullet it they they go hand in hand together right 
and of course he is a dog. He'll walk <laughs> like he'll run too far ahead and you'll have to kind of call him back and keep him close. Uh, oh, yeah. So it's not perfectly precise, but it feels I think pretty good. I think that Bloober team did a fantastic job with making Bullet feel like a like a real dog in, in that AI. I mean, there are plenty of moments throughout the game where Bullet runs ahead and is excited because we found a trail. We found the lead. Right. Also, he's a dog. <laughs> right right and uh that excitement ends up getting somebody hurt because you're just you're just running through the woods and these are the blair witch woods so as you said before that whole sequence or those sequences with uh with combat uh yeah not unlike alan wake where light is integral you know stay in the light uh the things that are stalking you through the woods don't like the light and uh i find it fascinating you have you know it's pretty normal for us to think of how we perceive the world around us as humans. Uh, Bullet being a companion here and I mean, specifically like a dog's nose and a search following a trail is, is, is huge. That's like uh, one of the, the, the oldest um, partnerships of time in hunting. Right. So when things start to get really crazy and bullet is like growling at the woods and you cannot see what is happening, or what is beyond the trees, but bullet can. There, there is like there is a serious like feeling of like okay, I have to pay attention. I have to like focus right. here, and if I lose my cool, then it's over for the both of us. So um, you're not just looking out for yourself; you're also looking out for bullet in the most important way possible. Because without you, bullet has nobody, and without bullet, you have nobody. Right, and to your point too, this game does a really good job of just putting you right in the center of all these moments that we've come to know and love from horror movies where you know something's about to go down. Like when Bullet starts growling into the woods, you're like, oh boy, here we go. I had a very similar reaction in the final set piece of the game, which we'll talk about a little later, walking into that and you tape your flashlight to your camcorder. And I'm like, oh boy, like here it is. Uh, Which brings me to the next big system I want to talk about, which is the camera itself. Uh, Of course, this is the Blair Witch. They do a lot of... uh, sort of playing with found footage in the video game medium. Uh, and so you have a camcorder you find, and there are these tapes that you can use to uh, manipulate reality, where you watch the tape, and if you pause it at a certain point, it changes the environment around you. So that's extremely cool. It's like a fun little way to solve puzzles. But additionally, in the end game, the camera starts serving a secondary purpose in which there's areas that are really dark and you can't see, but you can use the night vision mode on the camera to uh, basically find enemies and avoid them. Uh, and I thought that was really clever uh, just because it's just layers on layers of like interesting gameplay mechanics to keep this thing fresh. And then also like this game is not very long. It's only like six, maybe seven hours, but kind of reinventing the camera at the end like that, I thought was uh, pretty remarkable, honestly, like a really cool way to keep it fresh. Yeah, I, I think I, my playthrough lasted about five and a half hours and uh, like I don't think the game spends too much time lingering in one particular place. Uh, it, it feels like those those evolutions and design from for those like those pieces that you use come in uh, little chunks here and there to kind of keep things fresh. I found that uh, the camera sections were really fun. That um, mm-hmm. that whole aspect of like okay, you can't trust your eyes. Which like yeah, you're in the woods or you're in a building that's like very dark. Um, but you, you can, for the most part, trust your camera, which I played this game first before watching any of the films. And, uh, there's, there's one point that I want to make is that 
the uh, the camcorder that you find and the tapes manipulating reality uh, through some like timey wimey stuff. It's really interesting to me because that 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 calls back to like a line that Josh had in the first film where he's he's talking about Heather's camcorder and how it shows like a twisted or warped reality, right. not, a, not actual reality. And so I'm I'm wondering. I mean, I I don't know. I might have missed something, but maybe that's Heather's camera that we find in the woods. And in addition oh, to yeah. that, there's the whole uh, timey wimey business in the 2016 film where. The, the two locals, uh, those characters that went in with uh, James's search team, uh, they are banished from the group and then they show up later at night, but they claim that they've been wandering the woods for like five days. Yeah, that's the best part of the movie, by the way. And and so those types of things happen here as well. So you're, you're really left wondering like what is real, what isn't real. Everything around you is being manipulated, but the only thing that you can really trust is bullet and maybe your camera, your video camera. I mean, sometimes even your flashlight is unreliable in the sense that like it, it probably will flicker and uh, anything outside of that, that cone of light, you just can't see. So stay in the light, stay moving. Those are incredibly important. Uh, and I think the developers of the game spent a lot of time like looking through the movies and pulling bits and pieces that they could build puzzles out of after playing the game and watching those movies like the the kinds of obstacles that they came up with for this game feel like they're right at home and they could be in those films as well absolutely i agree i think this is like a very welcome piece of the canon uh i i honestly i would put it just behind the original movie uh i definitely enjoyed this more than i enjoyed the 2016 movie as a whole uh, and part of it, I think, is like you're saying, I think there's clear passion behind it. And the development team uh, clearly loves the source material and made something really special from it. The third like layer of gameplay mechanics I wanted to mention, and this one is less substantial than the previous two, but still I thought was funny, is uh, there's like a whole ass cell phone <laughs> that yeah. you uh, can interact with. Uh, there's certain points where your service will come and go and you get a little icon on screen and you also have a walkie talkie and it's the same where like there's like optional phone calls and, and texts you can send at times. Uh, but also there's just games you can play on your phone. Like you could straight up take a break at like the scariest parts of the game and just play a game on your cell phone for a few seconds if you need to like chill. And I did that and uh, <laughs> I did it partially because it was funny, but also it did work for me. Like there were a few times in this game where I got like, legitimately like freaked out. Uh, I actually had a nightmare about this game that after I finished it. Uh, and so like just being able to play snake on my phone for a few seconds and then look at a picture of a kitty. I was like, this is great. I'm glad they put this in. Yeah. It, it's a nice little touch, little Easter egg for everybody. And I, I was worried that I would have nightmares after like I played the game. It was a cool nightmare. It was sweet. It was awesome. But um, I mean, you're probably just running in the woods, right? Just, yep. just yeah. terrified. You oh, you were there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the 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 phone is kind of fun too. Like, if you want to play a game, you can. I think I played a little bit of Snake, but then I I just I focused on the the game itself. The um, I I, I the the conversations that you have. There's like a little bit of backstory for Ellis uh, through the cell phone and through the radio, because you know you're you're talking with a few characters that are off screen that you don't really see throughout the game. Um, I, I, I don't know, maybe those things affect the ending because this game does have, uh, branching endings or different, a few different ones and outcomes that will occur. 
Um, so the way that you play the game affects the narrative slightly. Uh, I, I'm not sure if the cell phone factors into that because, like you said, you can just like ignore a phone call if you're getting one. Likewise with the radio. However, there will come a point, as is Blair Witch fashion, where those items will also kind of become a little bit unreliable in the sense mm -hmm. that uh, you're getting calls from people on the phone, texts on the phone, or calls on the radio from people you don't know, from sources that you cannot, you know, uh, tell where this is coming from right people that are dead <laughs> is it you know the the woods and the witch manipulating you is it uh you know a, a an alteration of reality uh or is there somebody out there watching you and either guiding you maliciously or benevolently um it's very hard to tell this game has quite a lot in the in the in the, in the realm of uh, what is real, what isn't real, and what can I and can't I trust? You know, this this probably goes without saying at this point, but just because I, I want to state it clearly for the record, this game is incredibly scary and super visceral. And I think uh, something that goes a long way to delivering that is the sound design in this game is is incredible. Uh, take the game's advice and play it with headphones. Yes. Because it is remarkable, especially in the final act. Uh, I mean, straight up, the witch talks to you and she's just whispering in your ear. And it is the really one of the maybe scariest uh, gaming experiences I've had in some time. This is the game definitely where you want to turn on the lights, play with headphones, crank the volume and uh, just enjoy. Take your Steam Deck out into the woods. They <laughs> oh my gosh. That is that is uh, Blair Witch 4. Uh, we're going to take yeah. our Steam Deck and switch out into the woods and just have a LAN party and see how it goes. Um, but, but yeah, that experience is just brought uh, to like near perfection level when you have the lights out, you have your headphones on. Um, the sound design, the people working on sound of this game did a phenomenally good job. And everything from walking through the woods and like the little uh, breaking twigs and everything to just eerie sounds off in the distance close to you. Th this game, it it'll have you hearing stuff and you won't even know what it is you're hearing until you get to the end of it. You know, we've been in this for over 20 minutes now. Let's do a real quick recap of the story. Uh, so, Michael, like you said, you... You, Ellis and Bullet are assisting a search party for a young boy named Peter who went uh, missing in the Blair Witch Woods. And the search party has already started. You're late. And right from the jump, it is implied that Ellis has some kind of connection with this boy. And also Ellis has baggage. Uh, he has some demons he's dealing with. And the broad strokes are essentially as you're looking for this boy, you start seeing things that aren't really supposed to be there. Uh... You find evidence that the boy was taken by a man who's living in these woods and you start hallucinating things that both are not real and things Ellis has lived in his past. And we find out that Ellis is a Gulf War veteran who has PTSD. So there are these moments of uh, where he, he essentially is, is has flashbacks to the war and you are running from gunshots and stuff in the woods. And it's pretty powerful. It's actually pretty cool. As the story progresses... You do find the man who took Peter. His name is Carver, and you discover he essentially is a slave to the Blair Witch. Uh, kind of works for her, is under her spell. And you also, throughout the game, are finding these uh, like doctors 
like not a doctor's note because that's like <laughs> like <laughs> Ellis can't come to the woods today. Uh, but like you're essentially finding a doctor medical records uh, from a child psychologist who talks about this child who uh, has clearly something happened at some point in this child's life where they have these repressed memories and you discover it's involving these woods. Well, as you play more and more, you essentially discover that that child is you. And you find the final note in the Blair Witch House, which is the final set piece of the game. And essentially, from what I pieced together, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Michael, something happened where Ellis was brought into the woods. Ellis then does not remember, still doesn't remember it, uh, but it is heavily implied that Ellis had an encounter with the Blair Witch. Ellis somehow got out and was so permanently scarred by this that uh, essentially he just had uh, PTSD even as a child. His family was at his wit's end. He comes from a military family. So his dad kind of encouraged, coerced, however you want to, you know, I think any reading is accurate there. Ellis joined the military and the child psychologist in their notes says like, that seems like a bad idea to me. Uh, And they were correct. So you go to war and then you come back and now here you are again in the woods. And so it's kind of implied the witch it, 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 she's trying to get you. She her, her her reach is far, and she's been trying to get Ellis back this whole time. She keeps calling you my Ellis whenever you hear her, and at first I thought that maybe that's just how she talks to everyone, but it seems like she has a very particular attachment to you. Furthermore, you discover that in the period of time before Ellis returned from the war to now when he's in the woods, he worked as a police officer, and he had an incident, and he shot an unarmed teen who was robbing a convenience store and that teen was the missing boy's older brother so everything is just like this like spiral around ellis leading him to this moment and then you essentially discover that the witch's goal is to replace carver with ellis she wants ellis to be her her little guy there's a lot there as well that like echoes the films um like i remember like there's that fun line in the 2016 film where peter was in the search party searching for uh heather and the other two boys and uh, well, it didn't get me then, but you're back. Right. And so certainly something does have uh, its hooks in you. Same goes for Ellis. Uh, I didn't actually find all of those documents. I found a handful, mm-hmm. um, but they are they are scattered throughout the game, along with a few other collectibles um, or, or optional objectives, I suppose, if you will, uh, where... You can find uh, Polaroid photos of other missing victims that have wandered into the woods, as well as uh, totems that are strung up around the around the woods. That the kind of totems that were hanging outside of the camps uh, in in all the films uh, prior. Those particular totems uh, also cause Bullet to growl and and mm-hmm. whimper. So it's it's really implied that you should go over there and dismantle them. Uh, so the game has a few like fun like hidden things throughout. If you're astute and you have uh, some good exploration uh, skills, then you'll find a lot of really fun stuff that just blows the lore of these woods wide open. And it really starts to build an ambiguous picture of Alice as well because you're not really sure exactly what is going on with him or what is what happened in his past. And even without those documents, there are, again, there are hints. You see flashbacks to the war. You see flashbacks to his job as a police officer. And 
all of that seems to be either in his head or it's the witch just showing him the po- like the absolute worst of right. who he is. And no matter what, this character was always going to come back here and was always going to end up in this position. Yep. Uh, so it's up to you to decide, you know, what kind of outcome we get uh, for this narrative. Um, and, and that's where I think like up until the point you described, uh, that's where your actions will heavily affect how the end occurs. You either do become the new carver or you break the cycle uh, in sacrificing yourself uh, in the end uh, from what I saw. So I think the mechanics actually for for doing that have to do with breaking the totems and mm-hmm. listening to the witch. The The game kind of has this... this um, effective grasp on you where it will introduce things like the totems and you'll hear voices and people will tell you to do things and you simply will because well it it, it is kind of like a very effective use of positive reinforcement there's a section in the woods where carver is guiding me through and it's completely dark you cannot use your flashlight you can only see a path with your camera and occasionally you'll see a monster, a silhouette of a monster in your camera viewfinder. But if you get close to them or if you look at them, they awaken and they just kill you. Carver is guiding you through this. And at one point he tells you to stop, to crouch, to stand, and then to start walking again. And... I kind of noticed a little bit before that moment, but that moment was the concrete evidence. Okay, I'm being led through this. And yeah, I am listening to what everybody is saying. Because it's positive reinforcement, it's really difficult to think of, okay, I need to disobey these orders. I need to not listen to this. I need to uh, like do the opposite of what everybody is telling me to do or do the opposite of what seems like what I am supposed to do in order to avert becoming the new carver, the new um, like henchman for the witch. It's surprisingly how effective the game is at delivering what feels like a tutorial to you, or even just like here's a mechanic where you know you you have to like listen to somebody who's been wandering these woods for years in order to safely cross the path. But at the same time, all of this is unreliable. All of this is potentially right. um, malevolent and and could be evil and wrong. And it it really relies on you as the player to make you, make your judgment. I think it's one of the most effective uses of like uh, you know a branching narrative based on the gameplay decisions that you choose because it's not in your face and it really isn't apparent that that will be the outcome changed until you really get too far into the game to realize that, oh, hey, the decisions I've made are going to affect the ending. I think the game hints that your relationship with Bullet is important, but that's about it. Mm -hmm. Right. So all of these other factors just balloon into a much bigger piece of that narrative where now suddenly other things that you didn't know were important are now important, and you might be locked into that ending. It just adds into that feeling of like, what can you trust? What is reality? Right. So uh, we're kind of starting to get into what I'm going to consider sour territory now. So let's play that music real quick. 
in general, I think this game does a great job with the Blair Witch IP for better or worse, including what you're talking about here, Mike, which is how we are manipulated from the start of the game. Because like you mentioned, those totems that it's heavily implied you should break because they upset Bullet. The first one you find, there is no... It doesn't tell you to break it. It doesn't even tell you you have to grab it. It's just once you've grabbed it, it tells you how to break it. And after you break it, you don't hear a voice or anything say like, yes, great job. It's just the game kind of manipulates you into breaking it, which is the witch manipulating you because anyone who knows the second you step into this woods, that's it's over. Like you are now hers. You are being manipulated from the get go. I found a thread from our friends on reddit.com by, of (laughs) course, I mean the gamers uh, who we're not so into some of this stuff, uh, but but to be honest, I think that's just I have to assume if someone doesn't like that kind of thing, you're not just you're not a fan of the Blair Witch. And I'm not saying that to try to sound like gatekeepy or whatever, because that just to me, that is the Blair Witch, you know, <laughs> like, of course, she's manipulating me. Of course, it's over from the second I fell down that little cliff and the woods looked different at the beginning of the game. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, uh, that was the moment I was like, oh, it's over. And then uh, we were actually talking on Discord as you were playing, Michael, and the camera zooms out and you see the Blair Witch symbol and you were even like, oh, wow, because that's ominous. So being manipulated in that way. I actually liked, and I liked that essentially when you beat the game the first time, you're basically going to default to getting the bad ending because everything you've done up to that point, which even though it feels like the right thing to do, it's bad because it's one, it's a horror game. So I'm okay with having a bad ending Two, It's the Blair Witch. Like, of course she's going to win. There's absolutely no way I should have been able to beat her without, you know, I guess now having the like sort of the meta knowledge of knowing like, oh, there is a way to beat her. Uh, But I'm kind of conflicted on there being alternate endings, to be honest. I, I don't really know how necessary that is. Uh, I definitely think the option to be mean to Bullet is really unnecessary. <laughs> like, why would anyone <laughs> do that? Because there's like, from what I read, there's essentially four endings, but it's either the good or bad ending with some variant of does Bullet like you or not? And Bullet will either snarl at you or not. And it's just that seems a little unnecessary. <laughs> I got the bad ending by default, like you said. And I agree. I think that when you play this game the first time you go in blind, uh, you are going to get the most bleak outcome. It's just one. It's on on brand for Blair Witch. Um, that's just how it how it is. Um, but then also, it's just the way the game is built because all of these things like you want Bullet to not be afraid, so you're going to break the totems. You want to be safe and the easiest way that you know how to do that is by fighting back against the creatures in the woods that are attacking you with light finally uh when you're given instructions it's usually in the context of survival so if you veer off that path too much then there's a good chance that you're going to die and have to restart from your last checkpoint which isn't so bad. I think the checkpoints in this game are, are pretty pretty generous. There are a few parts where like I was just kind of stuck, um, mm-hmm. but it was it was mostly a trial and error. It was it wasn't so much like how do I get past this? How do I you know face this obstacle? It was just like oops, I took a bad step and I'm a few feet back now. All of these things feel like you said like they feel correct, they feel right. But then when you look up the mechanics, how do I get the good ending? Well, you're not supposed to destroy this totems. Mm-hmm. Can't pick up anything. Yeah, <laughs> you're not supposed to fight back against the monsters in the woods that are that are stalking you. So whenever bullet starts growling at the woods, you just gotta run, which seems 
really challenging. Like I think that that builds a opportunity for a challenge in the game that it will be interesting and and unique. Um, I think mm-hmm. I'll go back and try it because uh, it's like um, like like a knife only run in Resident Evil or something like that, right? It's it's right. A, a different way to play the game. And then finally, listening to the instructions from Carver and the Witch. Now I feel like the Witch is a little bit more obvious. Like oh yeah, the Witch is talking to me. Maybe I shouldn't listen to the Witch. But um, there there is uh, a level there where like you you kind of listen to these things and think okay well if that means i'm gonna live i'm gonna survive then i suppose i have to do what i have to do so it does default you back to that bad ending on your blind playthrough and those are the types of things that you need to you know uh, be aware of in order to try to get the good ending which um in the bad ending ellis becomes the new carver and the good ending ellis doesn't but the experience leaves him uh, on his deathbed in the woods, and uh, I guess like the, the 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 happy bullet ending is that he stays there with you until mm-hmm. search parties find Alice's body. Yeah, so still not a happy ending <laughs> by any stretch. There is no happy ending in Blair Witch, which does feel good to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like and, that's, yeah that's good. <laughs> and, and and you know, like honestly, that's very fitting. Um, I you know when those movies end it's usually someone got grabbed and a camera drops and hits the ground and then the credits roll so i think the 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 kind of um uh henchman aspect though is interesting like he, we heard the story of rustin parr and his house in the woods and him being uh ordered around by the witch as part of the lore of the films and carver fitting that role the witch finding a new role or a new person to fill that is interesting as well so uh, it all builds back on itself in that way. It's just, you know, if if, if this legitimately took place, um, like, in between the movies or after the movies, I, it, could, it could be anywhere, but it could still feel like it's a part of this larger uh, universe. So this game plays with space and time, just like the movies, where you, a day and night cycles happen pretty rapidly at parts, and you can turn a corner and end up back exactly where you came. Uh, so because of that, it's pretty easy to get lost in the woods, which, again, feels super accurate. This is a Blair Witch video game. Uh, sadly, that doesn't always translate to being super fun. And there may be no way to make that happen in this style of game. Like, I can understand that. But, you know, it it is what it is. There were definitely parts of this game where I was a little bit frustrated because I was just walking in circles. There's definitely a line between, like, becoming obnoxious and it being an interesting, uh, like level design, uh, game design. Right. I, I think of uh, the hallway from PT uh, primarily. You know, you're, you you walk through this narrow hallway, and when you open the door at the end, you're back at the beginning of the hallway again. Uh, and and so there are a few moments in the game that are kind of like that, except you're in the woods and it's a little bit more difficult to discern landmarks, like unless they're incredibly striking. So at the beginning of the game, you, you really do spend a good chunk just walking kind of aimlessly. And I could easily see a few people's experience being determined by that initial opening section where if you're not a, a Blair Witch fan from the get-go or a horror game fan from the get-go, it might be a bit of a challenge, um, you know, whether it, if it keeps your attention or not. I totally wouldn't blame anybody if they started this game up, jumped into it, 
and you know the first scare doesn't happen for a good while um becoming disinterested uh just because you know you're 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 wandering the woods it's a walking simulator and you know that may not be for everybody um but then once the once the game does pick up in its favor i would say it it keeps going um sometimes i would say it goes a little long for my taste yeah um and, and I guess that kind of wraps back into what you're saying here with like, you know, you got lost in the woods. I, I thought of it primarily when I was in the house, just the amount of times I was like wandering around corridors in the house, going upstairs, going downstairs, following a trail with night vision on my camera, trying to avoid monsters walking around in the house. It was uh, to the point where like, you know, I, I've kind of seen what you've done game and I'm, I'm enjoying the game. This environment is cool. The set piece is really good. And, uh, there's a lot of incredibly scary moments that are peppered throughout that. But the, um, the in-betweens just like, uh, when, when you think of pacing for it, we're at the end of the game and I, I feel like that section just kind of trailed on a little too mm-hmm. long to the point where like you know i think you could cut a little bit out of it i guess like those moments need something more to them like once you're in the house it should be scary all the way through there should be yeah. like no uh no solace at all but um there are just a few moments where you're just walking around and it's just i'm in a, an abandoned house cool yeah i agree i actually have written down here final set piece is amazing super scary and goes on far too long because <laughs> it was cool. You know, I, I think now that you've watched the movies, Michael, I would be curious if you played this again and if if uh, that that set piece hits you any differently. Because when I first walked in, I was like, oh, here we go, baby. Like about time. I'm in the Blair Witch House and it looks exactly like it looks in the movies. They did a great job with it, but I, it just it's way too long. It is way, way too long. And of course, too long is relative. But I felt like I felt like I was in that house for an hour which yes. is one sixth of this game's runtime. And uh, that that sort of hype, whatever you want to call it, the energy that you have going into the house where you know this is the climax of the game, it fades. Uh, and at a certain point, you get uh, what we have taken to calling here horror fatigue, where it's like, I'm not really scared anymore. I'm just kind of over this. And I'm like, it's like when a haunted house goes on a little too long. And you're like, stop yelling at me. Like, I just want to get out. <laughs> I want to get back to my car and leave. Uh, and, and that's kind of a shame because that part had a lot of potential and it ultimately was still pretty cool. Yeah, I think um, they definitely like could have used a cut there because one of the things I noticed after watching the films is once you reach the house, I mean, it's you've over. got <laughs> you're in you, her you've house. Got, you've got nothing. Yeah, yeah. Like there's, there's there's almost no more runtime. So the fact that like we get to the house and we're wandering around for like an hour, what is this a fucking mansion? Um, or, or al- al- alternatively, <laughs> alternatively, you get to the house and you're wandering around like, look at this mansion. I hope right. there aren't any zombies or zombie dogs or bioweapons here, um, um, Umbrella <laughs> Incorporated. But um, yeah, it's just kind of weird that, you know, the house does feel a lot larger than it should. And I guess there is... You know, the, the whole like timey-wimey reality uh, manipulation aspect to it, I think that the house would be much more striking and impactful if it were much shorter because ultimately it should leave you wanting more. I remember telling a friend of mine at work who is also a fan of the movies 
that the house goes on for too long. And his exact response was, how? It's like three rooms. <laughs> uh, and it's because it's essentially a bunch of linear backtracking. Like you go, it's the PT thing. You go in a door and then you're back at the front and it's cool at first, but then it just keeps going and going. And ultimately you just end up down in the basement, which is where you knew you needed to go from the start. In that same section is when you find the final note or well, I don't know if it's the final, to be fair. I don't know if I found every single one of the psychiatrist notes. But in the house, you can find the note that essentially reveals Ellis is the boy that they've been writing about and Ellis had met the witch. If we had to have all that time in the house, that's a plot point I would have really liked to be explored more. And it's not really. And Ellis doesn't even, maybe it's because I didn't find all of them or not. I don't know. But I feel like Ellis didn't even have some like a reaction to that. And that should have been like absolutely earth shattering. Yeah, that that being like a major character point in the plot in the plot that I feel like that should have been up front and center versus being, you know, relegated to optional collectible content. Right. Going back to the Gulf War for the 10th time. Right. I mean, the flashbacks to the Gulf War, are like eh, whatever, it, 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 it's important in establishing Ellis as a character with PTSD. And I think that the the angle where you have this you know, very obvious source of PTSD, a war veteran, someone who's mm-hmm. seen combat, but truthfully their PTSD originates from a childhood moment that they've fully repressed. Yes. Be far more interesting as a narrative, uh, 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 device than, you know, relegating this potential narrative device to being optional. There is a really cool set piece moment where you find the truck that was abandoned in the woods And when you find the truck, you realize I have to get on the radio and tell the person on the other side of the radio to turn on the headlights. This is a moment that happens to you earlier in the game where you find a truck. uh, On the side of the truck, there's a note that says channel three, say, uh, you know, something about the light. And when you do that, a a voice that you don't know tells you what to do. Turns out it was you from the future or from the past. Who knows? Right. That was a, a particularly powerful moment, along with like the very, very end, you know, standing in a corner. I should have to say, of basement. course, yeah, well, standing in the corner and you have to literally fight your controller because the witch is trying to get your attention and your head's turning and you have to stare into the corner. Otherwise, the witch will get you. The game is actively working against you because like in any game that you've ever played, um, when you've, you know, you, you point your character in a direction they just face that direction, but here, no, they're, they're it's that being, Joy-Con drift. They're being, He's got yeah, Joy-Con yeah, drift. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't play it on the Switch unless you want like an extra challenge. Yeah. The final thing I wanted to mention is the story is a little incoherent, which we've, you know, kind of said, and that was something I also saw that people online weren't thrilled about. But again, it's the Blair Witch. Like, I'm going to give that a pass because it shouldn't make perfect sense. Like, uh, I, I was, you know, when I rewatched the movies, I was reading about how I guess there's like a piece of lore that says the like can't the the I don't remember if it's the footage found in the first movie or the 2016 movie, but was found in the basement of this house, which burned down 40 years before these characters would have been born or something crazy. So like the like from the start, this movie is like a like a I think it was from the original movie because in the original they don't. They don't 100% reveal the time travel thing. And like we've talked about in the 2016 one, it's made perfectly clear. So like having those inconsistencies and having it be kind of confusing, I'm okay with. The concept of it being reality manipulation just makes anything possible, right? Right. So um, it is kind of like 
well, whatever, who cares? It's not that important. When you're connected to these characters and you can really see how they are faring with, you know, the, the paranoia, the anxiety, the dread of this moment. Um, and you know that a bit of that pit, that history, that past, uh, that's really powerful stuff. I kind of was perplexed by, um, and this is a little bit of a tangent, perplexed by people's response to Heather's performance in the original film, because I guess like, apparently a lot of people think that like she's not a great character or that her performance, her acting sucked. And really? I just completely disagree because yeah, like <laughs> she she nailed it like the actress nailed it and the character i thought was phenomenally good because you have you know the the kind of like uh cocky director at the beginning of the film and then that's all just broken down bit by bit chipped away at over the course of being lost in the woods while everybody else is just kind of like their own version of breaking down and going nuts I think that there's a little bit of that with Ellis, but I, it's mostly silent protagonisted in the mm-hmm. sense that, you know, uh, Ellis is a conduit for the player. So there are times where Ellis is just a little bit blank when he probably should be more emotive. Um, and I feel like giving a character, even though you're playing an FPS, uh, although there's no shooting in this game unless you call pointing light at things shooting. Well, I guess I guess you have a camera, so pointing your camera at things is shooting, right? Even though it's an FPS, I don't think you need to stick with uh, silent protagonism in order to um, you know effectively translate these scares from the character in the game experiencing them to the player playing the game experiencing them. Uh, if you're ready, we can move on to the sauce. Let's get it saucy. All right, folks, welcome to the sauce where we give the game our final score. Uh, what is our unit of measurement? Sweet Spikel. Totems or DV tapes? What do you think? I like DV tapes because they don't have a lot of memory on them, so you kind of need a bunch. True, that's true. Yeah, why don't you um, take it? Okay, so I think I'd give this game a solid 7.5 out of 10 DV tapes. I played it in one sitting. It was five hours. It was a good five hours, I got to say. Um... It has a few moments where it draws a bit, like just a little too long here or there, or it could just use a little bit more meat on those bones in those sections. But overall, it's a really fun experience. Had some very solid scares. And I I think it's worth mentioning, like I played this game before I saw any of the films. (laughs) So this game standing on its own was a blast. And I can't wait to go back and play it again. I think I'm going to wait because... You know, there's there's plenty of other things to play, but it, it I don't regret buying it, and uh, I, I certainly don't regret spending the time to play it. It was a fun game, and I think that it was a pleasant surprise for how fun it is. Damn, bud, we did it again, perfectly in simpatico. I'm also going to go 7.5 out of 10 DV tapes. It reminds me in a lot of ways of Alien Isolation, and I think the things that both of these games do well is that they take an existing IP, and the people that make them are clearly passionate about them and make something special. The Alien Isolation uh, comparison is a little unfair to Blair Witch, because I don't think it knocks it quite out of the park as much as Alien Isolation came close to doing, but I also really enjoyed my time with this. Uh, I think if you like the movies, this is a super easy recommend. Uh, I feel like it flew under the radar for a lot of people, myself included. Uh, and I was actually texting some friends who I know love these movies going like, you got to check this out. Like, this is kind of nuts. Uh, it, good game. Uh, Team Bluebird did a great job. Yeah, now it's time to see if I guess 
Any other Blair Witch stuff comes on the way. What's her next big found footage frenzy? I don't know. Well, I heard the the director of Host had a movie premiere called Dash Cam, which isn't told entirely from the point of view of a dash cam. That sounds really, really good. So interesting. I guess those guys got it on lockdown. Oh, there you go. A host was a phenomenally good movie. Yeah, so if you had found footage, that's a great recommend there. And to be honest, I'm, you know, even though I was kind of lukewarm on 2016, I'm, I would watch an, any Blair Witch thing. <laughs> like I, I was uh, on the paranormal activity train for a while. So like, I'm definitely <laughs> not going to say I'm above, you know, watching whatever they want to turn out. Um, what did you think of them showing the witch at the end of the movie? At the end of 2016? Yeah, because she's not in the game at all, which I think is a great choice. You hear her voice, but I I, I don't want to see her. Was the witch supposedly the the big lanky thing? Yeah, because they say when the way she was killed was they tied like rocks to her limbs and stretched them out when they held see, her. See, I'm not... I'm not sure how I feel about it. It was a very effective scare because, like, again, you can't look behind you. Right. Um, so Lisa using the camera as a mirror was very smart. Um, I it, it, it has to happen, I realize, but I feel like her turning around at the end was a little fast. Yeah, I thought it was kind of stupid. <laughs> she just saw James get got. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And it's just a copy and paste of the same line that he said just moments earlier. Um, so I feel like that was a little cheap. Like we just were rushing to get the ending there. Um, but the uh, the actual reveal itself was kind of cool. And again, everything is in is done in such a way that like you, you can only really infer. Right. That's the right. witch because they said that she was hung up on a makeshift torture rack and. Uh, you know, you put two and two together, that is potentially the witch. I've also heard that that is potentially Heather. Um, oh. Where, you know, like Heather is in kind of like a Carver Ellis type situation. Um, it, 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 it's ambiguous enough that I think it generates a lot of intrigue and it, it definitely keeps you thinking about the movie. Right. Um, and, and thinking thinking about these characters and that lore. Um, and then additionally, you know, the, the creature that Lisa saw outside the house, you know, what was that? Who was that? I think it was clever to show the creature. And, and I think just the way, you know, American blockbuster movies and horror franchises go, seeing the witch was inevitable. Um, but I didn't, I don't know. Once the actual impact of that chase sequence wears off, I was kind of like, I don't really like that. But you know what I just thought of? Here's my big swing pitch for a Blair Witch sequel. Let's hear it. It's set like 15, 20 years in the future where the forest has been torn down and it's now an office park. And someone, because of their their bad management, their boss makes them stay late and has to work late. And they get Blair Witched at their workplace. <laughs> because you have to stay the night. Yeah, because they're there late. And then because they're there late, they get screwed over. Uh, and like at one point, maybe they go outside and the forest is back. And that's how you can always, cause you gotta have the Blair Witch house. Like I, you know, absolutely. You gotta have the house in there unless it was like straight up. Like maybe it's like a big, like Amazon like facility and the house just shows up in the warehouse or some shit, you know? I think you'd also have a lot of great opportunities here because if it's an office park, then, um, or even just, just like a, you know, a, a developed 
uh, region of land, you have a lot of fantastic opportunities for reality manipulation with buildings. Like, have you ever gotten lost in an office building before? Oh yeah, that sh- that shit is as is as scary as getting lost in the woods. You're like deep into a large right. building, <laughs> and you just it's just labyrinthine, and you have no clue where you're at. You would be able to do just as much there, and uh, like establish really that um, you know it doesn't matter what you do on top of the ground. Uh, or even below the ground. Like, it's just that there is this um, pocket where if anything goes into it and stays the night, then shit happens. You know, and and that would be a fun thing, too, to explore. Uh, you know, stories from co-workers about how, you know, it's weird that there aren't any birds or just, like, small animals around our office. Like, we're not, like a big manufacturing plant we're just an office and there's some like trees and and and, you know like little hints of wilderness around like any other office space has but you just like really distinctly notice that there's nothing else around here that is alive and maybe there's like one person that went missing a year ago like before the protagonist worked there because they like and they they worked late Right. So there's a lot of opportunity with that. I love that premise. She's like, like, Hey, uh, who, who, who's, who's the producer behind this stuff? Like yeah, who owns Blair Witch? <laughs> give us a call. We got, we got an idea. You know, actually the way to do it too, is to, uh, not reveal it's a Blair Witch movie in any of the marketing. That is what they did with the 2016 film from what I read. Originally it was, it was titled the woods and was supposed like it was marketed as an original IP until like moments before the film's premiere and release. I don't think anything will really top the marketing campaign from the original film because, I mean, that went an incredibly long way to convince people that like the missing the posters, yeah, was truly missing or dead, and to the to the degree that um, the actress who played Heather, her mother was receiving con- like condolence letters and and everything wow, uh, from, from people, <laughs> like people people legitimately thought that her daughter had gone missing and potentially died wow. in the woods because the marketing and, and promotion for this film. And then the film itself was so effective right? Um, that, you know, people legitimately believed it. And then um, additionally, after that, I think they asked the, 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 the three actors to, um, to, to not take on any projects for like a year until after the film released. I think it also led to difficulty for those people finding more work, um, unfortunately. Well, if uh, the studio who owns the rights to the Blair Witch IP needs two nobodies to... Uh write a movie that will certainly draw no, you know, special attention. Uh, hit us up. We'll make a office horror Blair Witch movie. It's uh yeah, it's the office revival. The manager <laughs> yeah. will be uh Michael Scott. It will bring we'll bring a few universes together. It'll be the most ambitious crossover. That's actually where he went when he left Scranton. Uh he f- somehow <laughs> stumbled into the Blair Witch Woods. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, let's wrap it up here, and we'll, we'll see everyone on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.